Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. It is a joy to be with you all in worship this morning. I appreciate the opportunity and the invitation from my friend Sean. JCBC has been a long and steady partner in theological education with Mercer University and its McAfee School of Theology. And so on behalf of my colleagues and the current students and alumni, thank you for your longstanding support. We couldn't be the school of theology that we are without churches like you. Good churches make good schools of theology. And we are able to uh, bring students out of our uh, halls and classes and turn them loose amongst you. And they do good work. So thank you for the opportunity to be here today. You've just finished a sermon series called Available where you've been thinking about week to week what it means as a follower of Jesus to constantly be available to what God has called you to do in this world and what that looks like and how you listen and pay attention and how you're willing to follow. And I wanna continue to encourage you, that is lifelong work. We never are finished following Jesus in our lives and in this world. Next week, you will begin a series, I think, on the table, and you will have renowned preacher, Reverend Dr. Joel Gregory, here with you, and I know you'll want to be here for that, and in between, you get me. It's the best Sean could do with the list he had available at the time. Our scripture for today comes from the 32nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah. When you first begin to look at those 15 verses, it's not much to look at. It might not be much to look at the second time. There's no juicy details about some sordid affair. This isn't one of the stories that we learn over and over again as children coming through Sunday school. You don't study this one time and again uh, in your Bible studies. These are just a few words about a prophet who is in jail buying some land. From Jeremiah 32, beginning with verse one, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of King Nebuchadrezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Now, let me stop right here and say it's important to understand why Jeremiah, God's prophet, is in prison during this time. We already know from these first few verses that Jerusalem is under siege by the army of the king of Babylon. 
The battle is at their doorstep at this point, and it had been coming for some time. Jeremiah, the prophet, had been pointing that out, in fact. It was what God had called Jeremiah to do in the first place. You know, prophets come on the scene when there needs to be a corrective among the people. God had called Jeremiah to come to God's people and to encourage them to turn away from their own ways and back towards the ways of God, to stop worshiping idols and to act with justice and mercy towards each other. And Jeremiah, as prophets often do, he wasn't pulling any punches. Jeremiah wasn't subtle. He pronounces a word of judgment against the people. He, announces, he pronounces a word of judgment against the city. He even pronounces a word of judgment against the king. He says, if you don't turn back towards the Lord, then the Lord is going to give this city and its people over to the Babylonians and even the king of Judah himself will not escape uh, God's judgment that even though you fight, you're going to lose. So I want you to picture it, if you will, the people of Israel trying to maintain their defensive positions against the overwhelming forces of Babylon who are bearing down on them and they're losing ground and they're beginning to lose hope and they're losing lives. And that's the point where Jeremiah is walking through the city with a bullhorn in his hand and a sandwich board over his body. And on the front, it says, God and I were right the whole time. And on the back, it says, you should have listened to me. At this point, Jeremiah's rightness isn't helpful with the Babylonians bearing down on Jerusalem, is it? it? It's not helpful sometimes when we're in the thick of it for people to come to us and say, see, I told you so, right? That's not when we need the lesson, is it? What we need at that point is help. I imagine putting Jeremiah in prison helped with the morale of those who were fighting to save Jerusalem. I'm also sure that part of the reason for Jeremiah being put into prison is he'd spoken some words of judgment against the crown. And every time God's messenger, every time God's prophet starts to speak a warning to the people, it's okay, but when you start speaking truth to power, that's usually when the prophet gets in trouble. So Jeremiah's in prison, and if we know anything about the story of Scripture, Even though Jeremiah is in prison, we know that this isn't the end of the story, is it? Remember Jacob in the well? Remember Joseph in Egypt? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember the apostles Peter and Paul? We know that even though Jeremiah is in prison, this isn't the end of the story. Jeremiah says, the the word of the Lord came to me, Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say to you, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. 
So then my cousin Hanamel came to me and I was in prison in the court of the guard and in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Jeremiah says, and then I knew it was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel. I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver, I signed the deed, I sealed it, I got witnesses, I weighed the money off on scales, and then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions, the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard." In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jeremiah is in prison. The battle for the city is being waged outside and because of the sheer difference in numbers between Babylon and Israel, we would have to think that despair is growing. And in the midst of that, a new word comes to Jeremiah. And that new word that comes to Jeremiah It's not more words of caution and judgment to shout out of the prison bars to those in earshot. It's not an affirmation of the work that Jeremiah has already been doing. The word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah while he's there in prison is for him to buy a piece of land from his uncle through his cousin. It sounds like we're in the backwoods somewhere, doesn't it? Are you serious? At this moment, that's what we need to be doing? No word about how to get out of prison? No words about a a David who is coming to slay this new Goliath who is there at the city gates? Think about how crazy this might sound. Really, at this point in time, what you want me to do is buy a plot of land from my uncle through my cousin? And the Babylonians are laying siege to Jerusalem. The people are about to be in exile. And the land all around Jerusalem is receiving the brunt of the battle. That's what happens in a siege. Now, the armies of Babylon would have come from the east, and then they would have come south from up north to come to Jerusalem. You might not know where this little plot of land in Anathoth is located. I had to look it up, right? It's just north of the city of Jerusalem, exactly in the path where these armies of the Babylonians would have been coming. It's a little over two miles outside of the city gates. Anathoth, right in the middle of this battle that's being waged. 
And as the city goes, so does the economy and the fortunes of all the land around Jerusalem. So not only is this transaction that Jeremiah is being asked to take part in a risk, but this land that he is purchasing is dead set in the middle of this conflict. Are you serious? Precisely at the moment that Israel is losing everything, especially the land, Jeremiah goes by these legal means to purchase land from his family that is right in the middle of all that is happening. Noted Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, there is no convincing human reason for this act. It's ridiculous. It is foolishness. But it's foolishness that is rooted in God's power. After all, wasn't it foolish for childless Abraham and Sarah to set out at their age into a wilderness journey towards a promise of abundance but with nothing but a worn promise to hold on to? Wasn't it foolish for David to stand in front of the giant soldier with nothing but his shepherd's sling and a few stones? Wasn't it foolish for one of God's children to hold up a few loaves and fishes as enough for the thousands who had gathered with nothing to eat? And if we add this act of Jeremiah to the list, wasn't it foolish to try and buy a piece of property that is in the middle of a battleground? And yet foolishness is what we might often call the ways of God. It's foolish that the way to possess is by dispossession. It's foolish that the way towards being landed is to go into exile It's foolish that the way to receive is to give. It's foolish that the deeper power is a power under and not over. It's foolish that the way of life is through death on a cross. That is the way of God. The destruction of Jerusalem is not God's final word. The people of Israel going into exile is not God's final word. Yes, God has given words to Jeremiah like pluck up and destroy, tear down and overthrow, but God has also promised other words. It says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and destroy, so too will I watch over them to build and to plant houses and vineyards. So in this moment, when Jeremiah is in prison, we find the prophet, once the proclaimer of destruction, now embracing through concrete action, the promise to build and to plant. When I first read this passage a few years ago, and you may have been thinking this as I was reading through it, 
Why include all of those details about weighing out the money and signing the deed and sealing it and getting witnesses and storing it in a container so that it can be kept for a long time? I mean, the obvious answer is that's how you purchased land back then, right? There were some legal ways that you went about it and it was the way that you were able to show others that the land belonged to you and to your ancestors. But it's also true for all of us the changes that happen in our life and in this world, they don't happen just because we wish they would and someday hope they will. We must also It's not enough just to hope that the people in Puerto Rico can get roofs on their houses. You also act, you send a team to go put roofs on people's houses. Our lives and our futures become different when we both open ourselves to the metanoia of God, to the change that God wants to bring in this world, and we also take certain steps to trust God's redeeming work in this world that it is true. Right? A person who is in active addiction can know in their mind that recovery works. They can see other people live healthy, sober lives free from pain and bondage of substance use or process addictions. But until they take certain steps, until they surrender, until they trust that their higher power can and will transform their life if sought, until they practice the work of recovery, nothing changes. I heard a pastor tell a story one time about an exchange he had with a teenager who grew up in his church. She came to him at the end of the service one day and she proclaimed enthusiastically to him, you know, I think this whole Christianity thing is a waste of time. All Christians are hypocrites. Nobody practices what it is that they say they really believe. Everybody seems to just be out for themselves and they don't care about anybody else. I just wanted you to know that I see it and I think you see it too. And this pastor was caught off guard by this young woman's honesty. And truthfully, he wanted to say, I feel like that sometimes. Sometimes I can be as cynical and as discouraged as you are. But about that time, he looked up and in the back of the sanctuary, he saw Jane and the family that was with her. He said, I want you to turn and and look back there at the back. You see Jane, you see that family that's walking out of the sanctuary with her. They live next door to Jane and her family. It's her neighbors. She got word that that the husband and the, the wife, that they had both been laid off and there were no prospects immediately for work. They've got four kids at home and they were desperate to figure out what was next. They didn't go to church anywhere, but Jane grew up in this church. She's been going to this church for years. She went over to their house. She went over to her neighbor's house and she said, I'm gonna pay your grocery bill for you till you get back on your feet. Just let me know when you need to go to the grocery store and I'll go with you. 
Jane wasn't buying groceries. She was purchasing land in the middle of a conflict and battle. Jane believed that God did indeed want to restore the stability of her neighbor and because she was a follower of Jesus, she believed that God wanted to use her as a part of that restoration. Every time she bought groceries for that family, it was a reminder to this family that they were not alone, that God was with them and they had nothing to fear. The prophet Jeremiah believed that God did indeed want to restore the future to the people of Israel. And he trusted the word that came to him when he was in prison and he took certain steps to purchase some land. I wonder how long it took before the murmuring began through the city. The people knew the promises. They had heard the words. They showed up at synagogue. They might not have always followed, but they knew. They had heard the promises of what God will do. And Jeremiah bought some land. The Babylonians are laying siege to the city. They're pressing up against the the outward fortifications. Hey, have you heard the rumor? Jeremiah, you know, the prophet in prison, that he bought some land? I heard that. The Babylonians begin to overpower Israel's defenses. They can't hold on much longer. Hey, 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 did you hear? I just heard from somebody else. Jeremiah bought some land. Does that mean that the promises are going to be fulfilled? The Babylonians begin breaking through the gates. They're coming into the city. All hope is lost. No, 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 no. All hope is not lost. Have you heard the news? Jeremiah bought some land. I saw them taking the deed in the container itself. The promise will be fulfilled. If we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear, we would think Jeremiah is just purchasing some land through some long, intricate legal ceremony. But what he was really purchasing was hope. This act by Jeremiah is a sign of hope pointing toward a greater reality for God's people that God is still the one who gets the last word. And God's word is always hope and renewal and restoration and redemption. Walter Brueggemann says, can you see how big this story is in the greater story of scripture The sojourner eventually gets the land. The barren one mothers the child of promise. The slaves triumph over Pharaoh. The desperate ones get fed. And the dying one is the bearer of new life. If life is at its harshest and worst... At those moments when we feel like we are going off into exile when we are sure in our minds that there is no hope, if we are certain that nothing new can happen and the last words have already been spoken, I want you to trust that that is exactly the time when somebody begins the process of buying some land.